podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Monday. It is the 21st of August. Hope you're all well. Hope you all had a nice weekend. Weather update today is what you would describe as terribly mild. Desperate mild, even. Yeah, desperate mild. Anyway, uh, we had Premier League football over the weekend. We had eight games because Luton versus Burnley had to be postponed. Um, Kenilworth Road not quite ready yet for Premier League action. So that game will be rescheduled for whenever. Uh, but we had games Friday, Saturday and Sunday. We do have one tonight as well. Friday night, we had Nottingham Forest versus Sheffield uh, Sheffield United. Almost called them Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Forest win the game 2-1. Tewawani puts them one up on three minutes with a really good header from a a cross by Serge Aurier. Really good footwork from Awani on this. If you watch it back, you see him make a move towards the front post. He's, He's quite tightly marked. He makes a move towards the front post and then just repositions himself and in doing so creates a couple of yards of space, uses his strength to keep that space. It's a really good header. And Fotheringham can do nothing about it. Uh, Gus Hammer, newly signed midfielder for the Blades, equalises on 48 minutes. Sensational goal. Just a beautifully placed shot from the angle in 
what is he, 18, 19 yards out? And he just whips it in place in the far top corner. Outstanding finish by a really good player that I'm very much looking forward to seeing in the Premier League this year. I'm curious to how he will adapt, having starred for Coventry the last couple of seasons in the Championship and come really close to coming up with Coventry. I'm really curious to see how he'll adapt to life in the Premier League. It looked like this game was heading for a draw, but Chris Wood with an 89-minute header. Again, it's an Aurier cross. It's another really good header by Wood. And Forrest get the win. And Sheffield United get yet another reminder that they're going to need reinforcements in this window. They really are going to need reinforcements. Now, the players they brought in look decent. Vinicius Souza, I thought, had a good game here. Uh, Gustavo Hammer had a good game, got his goal. Traore looks looks talented. Uh, Asula looks talented. But they've got to get help in that defence. They've got to get another improvement in the midfield area as well. They're not ready for the Premier League with this group of players. And they're going to have to make adjustments in the next uh, 10 days. Uh, on Saturday then, we had Liverpool 3, Bournemouth 1. Uh, Semenyo put Bournemouth 1 up on three minutes after Bournemouth had already had a goal disallowed. Liverpool seemingly in complete self-destruct mode for the first 15 minutes of this game. They came back into it on 28. Really nice goal by Luis Diaz. Uh, Salah makes it 36. Uh, makes it 2 on 36. Misses a penalty, then scores from the rebound. Alexis McAllister is then sent off. Diogo Jota scores to make it 3-1. And once that third goal went in, it sort of took the fight out of Bournemouth and Liverpool just kind of cruised to victory. Um, but Bournemouth gave Liverpool a big shock early in this game. And Liverpool come out with it with a lot of questions that need to be answered. Obviously now they're likely to lose Alexis McAllister for a couple of games. That red card, I understand the decision. I do understand the decision. I do think it's harsh, but I do understand it. And I can see why VAR did not overturn it, because I think it's one of those where if it had been a yellow card that was awarded on the field, VAR wouldn't have pushed for red. It was a judgment call by the referee. It wasn't a clear and obvious error. I think from the referee's angle, it looks like there's more force in it than what actually took place, but... The job of the VAR is not to judge those things. It's to see if there was a clear and obvious error. And in this one, there wasn't. So I have no major complaints. Um, Wolves won Brighton 4. Matoma put Brighton 1 up on 15 minutes with a brilliant solo goal. And the rest of the first half kind of played out fairly evenly. There wasn't a huge amount in between the teams. But Estupinen makes it two on 46 minutes. And then Solly March on 51 and 55 wraps it up. Literally a 10-minute spell where Brighton were just phenomenal. The football they played was incredible. I thought Billy Gilmore had an unbelievably good game, the best I've ever seen him play in that midfield for Brighton. I thought Nciso was good. Matoma was good. March obviously carrying on the form from last season. Purvis is stupid and is a star. He might well be the best left back in the league. He was great last season. Remember, they they sold Kukurea for 60 and bought him for like 17. Incredible business approach by Brighton. Um, Wolves would get one back on 61 through Huang, but it was all huff and puff after that. Mateus Nunes sent off in the 95th minute for a second yellow card. Made no difference to the game, but he will now miss the next game. Wolves, having performed so well against Man United, they were just met with a far better team and they couldn't match them. Um, Fulham nil, Brentford 3. Johan Wissa scores on 44 minutes after a fairly shambolic mistake by Issa Diop to make it 1-0 for Brentford. Now, Fulham did have their moments in the first half, and the first half was fairly even between the two teams. In the second half, Tim Ream gets sent off on 64. 
Then Brian Mbomo scores from the penalty spot, penalty spot on 66, and he wraps it up on 92 after very good work by Rico Henry and Christoph Ayer. Good win for Brentford away from home. Fulham will be very, very disappointed with their performance and with the results. They're the type of games they need to be taking a point from because I think they're going to find this season harder than last season. Uh, Tottenham 2, Manchester United 0. United had moments in this game where they played some half-decent football and created a couple of good chances, notably for Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes, both headed opportunities. But when Spurs settled into the game and really started to play their football, they carved United apart. They really did. Uh, Papi Matar Sar opened the scoring on 49, and then the Butcher with an own goal on 83. Uh, Spurs deserving winners, the better team on the day. United fans having themselves a big old cry after the game about the manager not being backed. Um, Onana cost 45 million. Martinez cost 55. Casemiro and Mount were 60 each. Anthony was 80 million. That's just his players. Bruno arrived before him for 55. Luke Shaw was 35. Varane was 40. Juan Bissaka was 50. On the bench, you had Martial, 50 million. Christian Eriksen is just a great player. Um, you had Jaden Sancho, 25 million. Sorry, 75 million. Like Lindelof there, another 30 million. If you add up the team United put out, plus Maguire, who wasn't playing, wasn't in the squad, and um, Hoysland, the striker they brought in, it runs to about 815 million. Now, bear in mind that of the 22 players we'd be counting there in that 815 million, Christian Eriksen arrived on a free. And there are five academy players. So 16 players have run that club 815 million. And they're crap. They are crap. And last season we saw them start awfully as well. And Ten Hag brought in for his Pep Guardiola style of football, immediately reverted to playing Oli Ball 2.0. And United fans had tantrums at me all season long when I was telling them this. And now they're starting to admit it. That Eric Ten Hag has been in this job now for 15, 15 or 16 months. He has known the mandate since before he joined. He has spent well in excess of 400 million. He has no discernible style of play. And United are awful. It won't be long before major questions need to be asked about that manager. Because there can be no criticism of the owners in terms of backing him. Because they've given him well over $400 to spend. They allowed him to get rid of Cristiano. Cristiano, remember, who was brought back more as a marketing tool than a football player. They allowed him to jettison Cristiano and send him off to Saudi Arabia. So they've backed him every step of the way. They were happy to let him sell Maguire at a significant loss. They paid 80 million. Now, I'm sure from an FFP and profit and sustainability accounting standpoint, standpoint, Maguire is probably off their books in terms of amortization. So the 30 million probably would have gone down as profit for them, which would have helped. But in real terms, he cost 80 million. They were happy to sell him for 30. He's still first choice for England. He's only 30 years of age. Now, I think he's dross, and you think he's dross, but for them, it's an £80 million asset that they have. Um, I think it won't be long before we start seeing questions asked of of Ten Hag, because Ange Postacoglu has only been in that job since the start of the summer, and yet Spurs already look like a far more, more cohesive unit. 
the style of football they're playing makes a lot of sense. I thought there were moments when they were a little bit too open defensively, but that's a new centre-back partnership. It's a defence that's never played together before. Poro, Romero, Van de Veen and Adoiji, I mean, two of them are new in and Poro's getting used to playing as a fullback rather than a wingback. It's also a new goalkeeper. It's a new double pivot in front of them with, with Sar and Basuma, both of whom I thought were very, very good. And the front four was threatening. Kulisevsky, Madison, Son and Richarlison. Now, I still think they're they're light up front. I still think they've got to go and, and find a starting number nine with Kane gone. But there's a lot of promise in that Spurs team. Um, the late kickoff on Saturday was Manchester City 1, Newcastle 0. Uh, Julian Alvarez with the only goal of the game. City were fairly in control for the whole game. Haaland had a couple of half-decent chances, but I thought, to be to be fair, Sven Botman did a very good job at keeping him as neutralised as it's possible to keep him. Phil Foden was excellent in the game, but there are some concerns for City with you know some of the injuries they have. The Paqueta deal now has fallen apart. It, it, it sounds like they're moving forward on Jeremy Doku. The price I've seen mentioned is €50 million. Euro. I, I'm almost certain... Almost certain Wren paid about 19 million euro to buy him. And it's not like he's been very good for Wren. Like, he's very much a talent. But there's very little in the way of end product with him. So I'm curious to see how that works if he does go to City. The tune can take some heart from this game because there are Bruno Gamera's better connection on a ball away from potentially getting a draw. And it would have been an undeserved draw, but they wouldn't have cared. They would have taken it. Uh, moving on, Aston Villa 4, Everton 0. Um, I, I genuinely don't know how to describe Everton Football Club at the moment. They're a mess from back to front. I, I don't know why Ashley Young is starting for them. I don't really understand why the midfield that they played was the midfield that they played with basically five central midfielders, one up front, no width. Like you had Danjuma, you had Mope, both sat on the bench and you didn't bother to use them. Zero left footers in that Everton team, which is always strange as well. Uh, Villa went 1-0 up through John McGinn after really good work by Douglas Louise. Then Douglas Louise scored from the penalty spot after Jordan Pickford did a very silly thing. Uh, Leon Bailey made it... No, sorry, it was really good work by Leon Bailey for the first goal, not Douglas Louise. Leon Bailey set up the McGinn goal. Bailey then scored the third. And then uh, Jan Duran, the young Colombian kid that they brought in in January... Uh, he scored the fourth. Uh, Ashley Young with a mind-blowingly stupid decision to try and throw the ball 40 yards. Like, I don't know who's been feeding them spinach, but they've been telling them lies. Uh, undercooked the throw. Duran used his pace, knocked it by Michael Keane uh, and finished very well. Villa were exceptional. They really were exceptional. They were every bit as good in this game as they were bad last weekend against Newcastle. They did have a couple of a couple of moments that they wouldn't want uh, to keep repeating. There was just was one or two moments where defensively they weren't quite as locked in as you'd like to see them. Um, Phil Coutinho came on and went off again, which doesn't doesn't bode well for him. Uh, it doesn't bode well for them getting him out of the club before the end of the window either. Uh, last game of the weekend then, West Ham 3, Chelsea 1. So Chelsea, of course, having won custody of the world or something when they spent £115 million on Moises Caicedo, a £75 million player, and then £60 million on... Romeo Lavia, probably a thirty-five million pound player. Um, neither of them started this game. Uh, they went in with a, 
the same lineup that played against Liverpool with one change. Obviously, no, no Reese James who's out for the foreseeable. Um, and they got the same result where, you know, Liverpool had started early and could have put them to bed before they woke up. And again, Neyef Agard scores on seven minutes and puts them one down. Then Chelsea did wake up. And to be fair, from 15 to 45, Chelsea were comfortably the better team. Comfortably the better team. Um, Carney Chukwemeka equalizes on 28 minutes, really well struck goal, picks the ball up in the box, turns, swivels, and fires a tremendous shot that gives Ariola no chance. Raheem Sterling was sensational in this first half. Uh, his burst of pace really did look to be back. He wins a penalty on 41 minutes. Um, literally just turns, bursts into the box, and Thomas Suchek just sticks a leg out for some reason and takes him down. Enzo Fernandez steps up, does a little shuffle, and Ariola makes the save. We go into the break at 1-1. Eight minutes into the second half, fairly straightforward long ball. Chelsea should deal with it. They've got two defenders back and numbers getting back. Antonio, just little boys, Colwell, DeSassi, if he backed up any further, he would have ended up in the stand with the fans. I'm not sure where the great Thiago Silva was, but he'd gotten lost as well. And Antonio just rifles a shot into the bottom corner. Chelsea responded to going a goal down by bringing on a defensive midfielder. And then they got the the break they were looking for when Neyf Agard was sent off on 67 minutes. So you've now got 23 minutes plus stoppage time, of which we know there will be a decent amount. And you're Chelsea with all these expensive players. So, you know, you've, you've bragged and, and boasted about what a great job you've all done. So surely to God, now you're going to go on and get the equalizer. That's what's going to happen. And there's moments and there's moments and there's moments. And then all of a sudden they're three, one down. Um, Lucas Paqueta with a penalty in the 95th minute. The penalty was won in the 94th minute. Um, Caicedo just bundles himself into Emerson Palmieri. Never going to win the ball. Penalty given. Upsteps Paqueta. Puts all the noise around him to bed. Makes a show with the keeper. Puts it in the back of the net. And celebrates like it meant something to him. Really did celebrate like it meant something to him. Um, West Ham were were pretty good in this game. Now, they did get outplayed for large portions of the game. Chelsea have nobody to blame, only themselves. Shambolic performance from them for the second half. They had that spell in the first half, though, where they did play some lovely football, similar to the game against Liverpool. They just don't seem to be able to sustain it. Um, Caicedo had a debut to forget. It's one of the worst performances you'll ever see. Uh, everything he tried went fairly spectacularly wrong. But West Ham get the win and they get the bragging rights. So we have two teams who have won both games so far this season. One is Brighton. The other is Manchester City. We have four teams who've taken four points. That's Brentford, Liverpool, West Ham and Spurs. Um, Obviously... Arsenal and Crystal Palace will play tonight. They have three points, so we'll see how that one works out. Selhurst Park is a fairly tough place to go, and Arsenal were not impressive last weekend against Forest, so could be a tough game for the Gunners. Um, but certainly, obviously, one of them takes a point. Or, sorry, one of them takes three points, or both take a point. They'll bump themselves up. Toon, Villa, Forest, United, Fulham, Bournemouth, Chelsea and Sheffield United. No, sorry. Bournemouth and, she- and Chelsea, take them out. Uh, every down to Fulham there. Toon, Villa, Forest, United and Fulham. They all have three points. Bournemouth and Chelsea have one point. And then Sheffield United, Luton, Burnley, Wolves and Everton all have no points, but Luton and Burnley obviously only played the one game each. couple of things that caught my eye over this weekend. One is just how good Brighton are 
when everything clicks into gear for them. That combination down the left of Estupinen and Matoma is as good as anything you'll find on a flank anywhere in Europe, and it cost them roughly $22 million. Matoma, when he changes pace and just decides to go up through the gears, he never looks like he's... like It doesn't look like it's more effort. He just glides across the ground. He's got sensational balance. He's clearly a super intelligent player as well. I love watching this Brighton team play. I really do. And I've just been... For the last couple of days, I've been trying to picture De Zerbi putting this style of play at the top six clubs and how it would work and what it would look like. Now, for some of them, there'd be quite a lot of work needed in terms of players you'd need to add, profiles you'd need to add, and just changing what the team fundamentally does. Now, if we look at the big the big six... City, Arsenal and Spurs all have coaches known for super progressive, super attacking football. Um, I think Ten Hag would like to be that, but doesn't have the courage of his convictions. And then Pochettino and Klopp are probably more in more in, in the balanced camp. You know, they've always been more about graft than than guile. Chelsea'd be the hardest transition for De Zerbi because they don't have a lot of what he would look for, but some of the players they have would fit like a glove into how he plays. Some of them would be just sensational fits. Like, for all the slating of Mudrik, I would love to see what De Zerbi could do him as that 1v1 left winger. Because if you watch Brighton play, so much of it is that patience and waiting for the opposition to press you, waiting for them to make a decision and then you play off of their decision and you exploit the space that they're gifting you. But much of their build-up play comes down the right-hand side and they overload the pitch on the right and what it does is it leaves Matoma and Astupinen way, way out on the left, isolated in some ways, but also, and more importantly, isolating against two opposition players. And you're going to have a really tough time stopping the two of them if you've only got two players in their vicinity. You're going to have a really tough time because both of them are rapid. Both of them are super intelligent and they have a really good understanding So Brighton and the football they play is one thing. The other thing, like I mentioned, just how quickly Ange Postacoglu has been able to put his ideas in place. He took over basically, well, no, he took over a year after Ten Hag. Now, Ten Hag was announced, obviously, a couple of weeks before the end of the season, uh, at the end of the 21-22 season. But you know, we're 15, 16 months into Ten Hag's range, at rate, Ten Hag's reign, and still no sign of this progressive attacking football that, you know, he was meant to be bringing to United. They, they just play volleyball. Um, so, uh, you know, I do just wonder, is it a testament to Ange and how quick he's able to get his methods across? Is it a testament to the players and how quickly they're able to adapt? Potentially so, Spurs players have been through a number of managers in recent years. Or is it more of a knock on Ten Hag and his inability to get his message across? Or United's players and their inability to take on information? Uh, Third thing is, I'm worried about Liverpool. I really am. I, I don't like the brand of football they're playing. I really don't like the back three, the box midfield and the forward three. Not with the people they have in place. And the win on Saturday had far more to do with the individual brilliance of a couple of players and Klopp's decision to shift back to a 4-3-3 than it did with how well they've been coached. 
Liverpool don't look like a well-coached team at the moment. Bournemouth looked excellently coached. Really well organised, really well set up. Very clear purpose, very clear message. They started the game on fire and Liverpool were shambles. And it was almost like muscle memory kicked in and got Liverpool past them. But there was far too much huffing and puffing from Liverpool in that game. Next one is just how dysfunctional Chelsea are. I just, I find it very funny. I've warned against the stupidity of Bowley from day one. And, you know, after the game against West Ham, where Mikhailo Mudrik was brought on off the bench and failed to impact the game, it must be said, you had lots of Chelsea fans uh, having temper tantrums about him uh, denouncing him and saying that they were finished with him, that their patience had run out with Mikhailo Mudrik, that he was a mistake to buy, and all the you know you know all the stuff that comes out. Remember, let's not forget Chelsea have signed more players than they've won games in the Todd Bowley era. But I just put up a little reminder on social media that you know Mikhailo Mudrik, whether Chelsea fans like it or not has eight years left on his contract. (laughs) He's got eight years left. No one's taking him off your hands. He's got eight years left. You're paying him 200 grand a week, regardless of what nonsense is on Capology or Sports Track. You're paying him 200 grand a week, plus bonuses. That's 10 million a year for the next eight years. That's 80 million. Before bonuses, that's magnificent. Let's not forget that it's not just a transfer fee that you paid. You've also put on very easy-to-hit add-ons, which is why your bid was accepted. And you paid him a significant signing bonus. So, you know, it's not going well. And perhaps the excitement of him making a very old James Milner look very poor wasn't something that Chelsea fans should have got overly excited about last season. You know, might just be something to consider moving forward that you don't get overexcited when a winger tears James Milner, who's not a fullback, into smithereens. You know. Uh, Final bit then is Man City. Look, we all know that Guardiola has been lauded for the brand of football and... You know, how attractive his team can be to play. But when you look at that team, what stands out to me is you've got five defensive players, one kind of all-rounder, and four attackers. He's playing five pure defensive players. Walker, Kanji, Diaz, Gvardiol, and Rodri. Walker and Kanji bring great athleticism to that team. Diaz and Gvardiol bring great physicality. Now, obviously, Walker can be very physical as well when he needs to be. Rodri brings physicality. And then on the ball, Gvardiol, Diaz and Rodri all offer a lot. It's a it's a different type of approach from Pep. Now, obviously, John Stones likely comes back into this for a kanji. Uh, I feel sorry for Nathan Aki, who was their best defender last year and probably their second or third best player. But Pep decided to spend seventy-seven million on Gvardiol, and and so be it. Like Gvardiol has enormous potential, but Nathan Aki, I think, has been a little bit harshly treated there. The other thing that struck me was how weak City's bench was. You've got Calvin Phillips, you've got Nathan Aki, you've got Stefan Ortega, Sergio Gomez, who's very unproven. Maximo Perone, who's unproven. Oscar Bob, Cole Palmer, Rico Lewis and James McAtee are all academy kids. If City had needed goals off the bench, where were they looking? If City were needing match winners off the bench, where were they looking? The squad is very light at the moment. I'd be expecting at least two signings by City before the end of the transfer window. I'd be expecting at least two a winger and kind of a creative attacking midfielder. I think they've got to do those things if they want to have a shot at back-to-back Champions Leagues. 
I think I think they'll win the Premier League again regardless but I do think they need I think they need those attacking um, incomings to compete again in the Champions League because outside of Haaland there's not a huge amount of goals in the squad and now Foden, I think, has potential to get a lot of goals. And I do think Alvarez has the potential to get a lot of goals, but Grealish won't get you many. Bernardo doesn't get you a whole lot. KDB, it fluctuates season to season. Some seasons he might get you 10, others he looks like he might get you four. Rodri's good for two or three a season, but not much, much, much more. The defense isn't going to get you many. You might get three or four between the whole group of them. So I do think they're going to need to add more goals for Europe more so than the Premier League. Uh, right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Women's World Cup. The final took place yesterday. We're going to do some transfers. We're going to do some gossip. And that will be us. So I will see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So the Women's World Cup has been and gone. And Spain are world champions. Congrats to them. Uh, Olga Carmona scored the only goal of the World Cup final as the Spaniards beat England 1-0. Spain did also miss a penalty. And while England played well, Spain were better. Spain fully deserved their victory. A sold-out crowd at Stadium Australia. Over 75,000 people there to see the game. An incredible advertisement for women's football. This whole competition has been a triumph. It genuinely has. And it sends all the right messages to young girls, to people that maybe feel disenfranchised from men's football and want something new to focus on. There is a great sport here being played by great professionals, people you can look up to. You know, sometimes you look at the men's game and there are many aspects of it that will disgust you in terms of player behavior on and off the field, in terms of the money involved, in terms of the corruption that's clearly rife in the game. And while I'm not in any way suggesting there isn't corruption at different levels of the women's game, there isn't the money which is ruining the the men's game. There isn't the level of ego. And there certainly isn't anything resembling the off-field behavioural issues. For young girls looking to potentially pursue a career in sport, I mean, you, you you just need to watch these games to see heroes. You're looking for role models. These are your role models. These are your role models. This was a magnificent World Cup. And congrats to Australia. They've proven they can host a major international football tournament. I think if they want to host a men's World Cup in time, along with New Zealand, I should say, it wasn't just Australia, it was New Zealand as well. I think if they want to hold a men's World Cup in 2030 or 2034, I certainly think they'd be well positioned. They've got the stadiums, they've got the infrastructure. We know they've got the interest and they've just proven that they can pull off a big, big tournament and do it in a manner fitting the pinnacle of the sport. A couple of interesting things have come out on the aftermath of the game. Um, Spanish football president Luis Rubiales has been criticised for kissing Jenny Hermoso on the lips after Spain won the Women's World Cup. Um, I thought it was... I thought it was completely out of line. It was very uncomfortable. The player herself said she didn't like it. Then a statement was released in her name defending the guy. Um... Completely unacceptable for me, and I I genuinely think he should probably resign. Now, the idiot himself came out and said it was a kiss between two friends celebrating something. 
those who saw it differently are idiots and stupid people. Um, I don't think anyone saw it differently. I think they all saw that you're a leechy old perv. Um, Olga Carmona, who scored the winning goal, was told after the game that her father had passed away on Friday. And she wasn't told about it until after the game because her family didn't want to distract her from her biggest moment. Um, Her performance was outstanding. The goal was great. And her dad goes and, and she's made him proud, you know? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, the 2027 World Women's World Cup does not yet have a chosen host, which is a little bit ridiculous. And we're not going to know the chosen host until May of next year. So Belgium, Germany and the Netherlands are one of the options. Mexico and the United States are the other. Now, they'll be hosting the 2026 Men's World Cup with uh, with Can- Canada, so that could make sense. And then South Africa and Brazil uh, are the other options. South Africa obviously hosted the 2010 Men's World Cup. Brazil hosted the 2014 Men's World Cup, so they have the infrastructure, the stadiums, and all, that, all the rest, and the know-how, the recent know-how, but... Yeah, I can I could see it probably ending up back in Europe because they do tend to do Europe gets one and then somewhere else gets one. Now that changed obviously with the twenty ten and twenty fourteen World Cups. That was the first time I think we'd had back to back World Cups outside of Europe in quite a long time. Um so yeah, we'll wait we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what happens. But that should have been like we should already know that. That's silly that's not it hasn't yet been announced. Um what else do we have? Uh, Liverpool will appeal against Alexis McAllister's red card in the 3-1 win over Bournemouth. Klopp said he felt that his side having to play over half an hour with 10 men was punishment enough. Gary Lineker called it a nonsense. Um, I don't know. I, I don't fancy their, whole, their, their chances of getting it uh, reduced. I, re- I really don't. I really don't. I think what we might see is they might give it a one-game ban. I, I don't see it being overturned, is what I should say. I don't see it being overturned. Um, Everton have condemned the vile racist abuse suffered by Amadou Onana after Sunday's 4-0 loss at Aston Villa. Onana shared a screenshot of racist message of a racist message directed towards him on social media. Oh, that's horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. We'll find who the guy is that sent it and ban him for life. Get the guards, get the cops around to his house. That's disgusting behavior. No player should have to go through that. Nobody should have to go through that, let alone um, a young man living in a foreign country who is easily their best player. Uh, Ben Foster has resigned, has retired again. So having come out of retirement, in March and helped Wrexham getting promoted in getting promoted. Um he started this season in fairly poor form and he has made the decision to retire, saying that he doesn't feel like he has the ability left basically to play at this level. Uh Ryan Reynolds has said he built memories I'll never let go of for as long as I live. I love this guy. Thank you for everything, Ben. Um, it takes it takes a very big person to realize when they can't do something anymore, and I think Ben Foster should be applauded for making this decision and making it now while Wrexham can still go out in the transfer market and bring in another keeper. I, I think that's massive credit to uh, to Ben Foster. Um, the Women's World Cup in total had. Almost 2 million fans in attendance. That's incredible. Across 64 games. The target for sales was 1.5 million ticket sales. And they've blown past that. 1.978 million 
That's really impressive. Really, really impressive. Um, the last World Cup had 635,000 less. Admittedly, admittedly with 12 games less, but I think that's... Oh, sorry, that's the, that's the 15 World Cup, 2015. 2019 at 1.1 million. So 800,000 less, but again, 12 games less. Um, I think that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. More than 700,000 fans watched the 29 games which took place in New Zealand, which, you know, when you consider that the stadiums aren't more than 45,000, that's very, very impressive. Um, which means about one point, almost 1.3 million in Australia, um, for their 35 games. Very, very impressive. Uh, Ivan Tony says waiting to return to training is like being in football prison. Uh, he's allowed to return to training on the 17th of September, isn't allowed to play again until the 17th of January. Yeah, it must be tough. Must be tough. John Stones will miss the next couple of games for Man City. He has been ruled out until after the international break, which also means he won't be available for England. But that might not stop Gareth Southgate calling him up anyway, because, you know, Gareth does very strange things. Um, Sean Dyche says there's no magic wand to fix what's wrong with Everton. I don't know. Maybe you're... uh, Maybe you're just better off going with the flow, Sean, and um, enjoying the championship next year. Uh, Over the weekend, Lionel Messi lifted his first piece of silverware for Inter Miami winning the League's Cup on penalties against Nashville. And a great moment afterwards where Messi took off the captain's armband, gave it to DeAndre Yedlin, who had been captain before his arrival, and then made Yedlin come with him to lift the cup. Um, just goes to show the the kind of humility and and the kind of person that Messi is, as opposed to the other fella who probably would have made all his teammates go and stand somewhere else while he stood on the stage by himself. Uh, Fulham have sold Alexander Mitrovic to Al Halil for a significant sum of money. It's believed it will be around fifty million. It's undisclosed. Fulham have said it's a record sale, but it is it is undisclosed. Um he joins his his teammate Sergei Milinkovic Savage. He joins Malcolm. If I'm not mistaken, he joins Neymar. Let's have a look. Hard to keep up with all the comings and goings. Uh, yes, yes, he joins Neymar, Ruben Neves, and Kaladu Koulibaly. So Koulibaly at centre-back, Neves in midfield. Um, I'm guessing Neymar off the left, Malcolm off the right. Oh, uh, Yassine Bono from Sevilla, he'll be the goalkeeper. And uh, Milinkovic-Savage behind Neymar, behind um, Mitrovic. So that'll be, it'll be fun. The, the rest of the team will be unusual, but that'll be fun. You know, that will be fun. Um lot more moves going on. A lot more moves going on. Um, Jota, formerly of Celtic, uh, is leaving Al-Itihad after only six games and just about a month there. He seemingly has decided that the league is not for him. Uh, they're in talks to try and sign some more players. Um, their other big signings have been in Golo Kante and Fabinho. So it remains to be seen what else they do in this window. I'm not really sure what's gone on with Jota, why he's decided to leave. Oh, and of Kareem Benzema, of course, uh, also at that club. Um, not really sure why he has decided to, to leave. I'm sure it will come out at some point. Um, looks like Americ Laporte will be the next player heading for Saudi to join Al-Nazir, uh, Cristiano's club. We'll see what happens with that one. Um, Tyler Adams completed his move to Bournemouth over the weekend. 
23 million inclusive add-ons, I believe. Sergi Canos completed a move from Brentford to Valencia. Hakim Zayic just joined Galatasaray on loan. It seems like he might have failed a medical again, but Galatasaray decided to take him on loan rather than the initial permanent deal. Uh, Nicolo Zaniolo has completed a loan move and an obligation to buy to Aston Villa. And that's pretty much it. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. We have a few days of gossip to get through, so let's pull that up. We've got three, we've got four days worth actually, because I wasn't here Friday because my internet decided to just go down randomly Friday morning. It didn't come back up till late Friday night. So unfortunately, your day was was not blessed by my lovely voice, uh, which probably means you had a much better day than you would have had normally. But I do thank you for being back listening today. Uh, again, some of this will be outdated because some of it is from Friday. Some of it will be contradictory, but we'll go through it anyway. Chelsea have added Brennan Johnson to the list of attacking targets because he's A, a human, and B, a footballer. Uh, Forrest has said an asking price of $40 million. I'd imagine they would want significantly more at this point in the window. Chelsea have inquired about Jeremy Doku after the move for Michael Elise fell through. Would make no sense at all, totally different type of player. West Ham, Man City and Tottenham are also keen on Doku. Chelsea backed out of the deal to sign Olise when Palace informed club lawyers they would consider taking the case to a tribunal, which means Chelsea knew they'd done wrong and knew they'd been caught. Chelsea are also looking at Bradley Barcola because he's A, a human, and B, a football player. Uh, Chelsea have agreed a £28 million fee with Newcastle to sell Lewis Hall. I think that's one of the dumbest moves anyone will make this window. Chelsea, that is. For Newcastle, I think it's brilliant. Genuinely, I think that kid is so talented. Um, Nottingham Forest have made a £30 million verbal offer for use of Fafana. That one seems to have gone a bit quiet since um, since Friday. Davinson Sanchez is a target for Monaco after Tottenham made him available. He's been available all summer. Kylian Mbappe has told his entourage... He will stay at PSG this summer, but wants to only wants to play for Real Madrid. Uh, that is coming from a Real Madrid fan site. Like, imagine if Arsenal Fan TV came out and said, or AFTV as it is now, came out and said, um, oh, Haaland is happy to stay at City for now, but he's told friends he wants to join Arsenal next summer. That's basically the same level of of uh, reliability you can expect from that outlet. Manchester City are trying to beat Brighton to the signing of 19-year-old Argentine left-back Valentin Barco. If he has sense, he will join Brighton because that's the best place for his development. Former England midfielder Jesse Lingard has impressed West Ham during his training stint and the club could offer him a short-term contract. I assume it'll be one full season. Bayern Munich will not sign David De Gea, as Thomas Tuchel has vetoed the idea. Bayern's French defender Benjamin Pavard is set to choose between Manchester United and Inter Milan. Um, I, 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 I genuinely don't know what... To, I, he's not very good. Simple as that. Liverpool are interested in Mario Lamina. No, they're not. Uh, Aston Villa will complete the paperwork for Zaniolo. Fulham are considering a move for Fowler and Balogun. Interesting. West Ham are close to agreeing a deal for Konstantinos Mavroponos, former Arsenal defender who's been at Stuttgart. He's quite good. I I quite like that deal. I think that one's almost done now as well. The Hammers are advancing in talks with Ajax over Mohamed Kudus and are set to step up their interest in El Yawahi. Well, El Yawahi has signed for Lens over the weekend. Everton and West Ham are interested in signing Goncalo Borges of Porto, okay. Um, Arsenal are considering entering the transfer market for a new defender after Julian Timber was ruled out for the season with a torn ACL. I don't know if they have any money left, do they? Man City have paid $1 to sign French midfielder Therese Nabusi from Leicester. PSV Eindhoven are keen on signing Sergio Dest on loan from Barcelona. Angel Canseo remains a top target for Barcelona. We move on to Saturday. 
Chelsea are interested in signing following Balogun because he's A, a footballer, or A, a human, and B, a footballer. Uh, Chelsea have registered interest in Ivan Fresneda. Like, you already have two really good right-backs who are young. What, what are you doing? Moronic, moronic club. The Blues are closing in on an 11.8 million move for Serbia and New England Revolution goalkeeper Jorde Petrovic. I mean... He's a talented keeper. He's not ready to come in and start for Chelsea, though. And surely the goalkeeper you bring in should be ready to start. He was linked with Forrest early in the window, and I, I thought Forrest actually would have been a really good move for him, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Man City are confident Bernardo Silva will sign a new contract. Fiorentina are yet to receive an official offer from Manchester United for Sofian Amrabat. Barcelona are advanced, in advanced talks to sign Jack and Sale. Luton have made inquiries about a loan for Jaffa Tanganga. I quite like that one. Um, Rafael Varane has been targeted by Al Itahad. Liverpool remain interested in Czech de Kure, obviously. Uh, Liverpool are also keen to sign Ryan Gravenberch. Hopefully not. Uh, Tyler Adams... Eric Bailly is in talks to join Fulham after a move to Saudi Arabia collapsed. Anzu Fati has been offered to Paris Saint-Germain after previously been linked to PS to, to Manchester United and Arsenal. Um, no, I don't believe any of that. Uh, Benji Pavard remains the top target for Inter Milan. David Moyes claims he's not currently considering a move for Jesse Lingard. Well, it's not really a move. He's, he's already there training with you. You can just sign him. Southampton are interested in signing 21-year-old Germany mid- German midfielder Luca Kerber from Saarbrücken. Okay. Uh, there is an agreement in principle for Joe Canseo to join Man City on an... Sorry, Joe Canseo to, to join Barcelona from Man City for an initial season-long loan. Uh, Chelsea have made contact with Fowler and Balogun's advisors. Do they think he's the answer to their goal issues? Because I, I don't think he is. I think if he was, if he was that good, I think Arsenal would be keeping him. Uh, Nuno Tavares is exploring options after a proposed move to Nottingham Forest became complicated. Arsenal have no intention of selling Thomas Partey, probably because they're not allowed to sell Thomas Partey. Crystal Palace are set to make a surprise move for Dean Henderson. Um, Yeah, I mean, they they probably could do with a goalkeeper. Not a huge... Yeah, not a huge fan of their goalkeeping situation. I mean, uh, Gaeta's been there forever. And he'd been a solid number one for them. But it had become quite clear he was on the decline. And then obviously they signed Sam Johnston last summer. And I think he'd be a good backup goalkeeper. I just don't think he's a starter. Uh, PSG have agreed personal terms in a five-year contract with Randall Colomuani. West Ham have had a bid from Mohamed Kudus rejected. Uh, they've agreed a fee, though, of $19 million, including add-ons for Mavropona, so that's a good one. The Hammers are interested in Anthony Martial, but are unlikely to be able to compete financially with clubs from Saudi Arabia who are keen to take away United's mistake. Um, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen is close to signing a new contract with Barcelona. Sheffield United are exploring a loan deal for Divock Origi. I don't think that's a bad signing, actually. Oh, we have breaking news as I'm talking. Manchester United have abandoned their plan to bring Mason Greenwood back to the club's first team following a public backlash. The club faced mounting criticism from inside and outside after The Athletic reported last Wednesday that Richard Arnold held held a meeting with the club's executive leadership in the first week of August to inform them the plan was for Greenwood to return. Like I said last week, if he was crap, they would have just got rid of him. They were trying to rescue the asset. United insisted last week a decision had not been made, but in light of the strong critical reaction to the revelations in the story, and further reporting by The Athletic, the club held crisis talks on Friday. 
They have since decided not to reintegrate Greenwood with the first team at this stage. And there's more to the article than that, but you can go and check that out for yourselves. Uh, Celtic are now best placed to sign Kieran Tierney. I, I don't believe that to be true. Aaron Wan-Bissaka will not leave Manchester United this summer as he wants to fight for a place in the first team. That's weird because uh, we had multiple outlets in the last month saying he was about to be offered a new contract. So I think someone at the mail is being a bit mischievous there. Um, Donny van de Beek and Brandon Williams could both leave United and are not currently being considered for, for selection. Eric Boye could also de- depart... Leeds plan to sell Ilan Melier. I really hope it's to Chelsea. I really, really hope it's to Chelsea. Um, Liverpool have cooled their interest in Joao Polinia over the 28-year-old's 90 million price tag. So uh, Football Insider are, are just adding new and exciting spoofing to their to their list of crimes against football journalism. Um Saudi Pro League club Al-Ali are pushing to sign Mar- uh, Mar- Marco Verratti. We- we've known about this for ages. Sunderland are interested in 20-year-old English youth striker Jay Stansfield from Fulham. Okay, And Inter Milan are pushing to sign Benjamin Pavard. Right. Last day is worth now. Manchester United are considering a move for Marco Verratti. Oh, please, please do that. Verratti and Casemiro. That's definitely the answer to not having enough legs in midfield. Uh, United are also exploring a deal for Greece goalkeeper Odysseus. I, 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 Greek goalkeeper from Benfica, first name Odysseus. Uh, Ren have rejected an offer from West Ham for Jeremy Doku. West Ham are struggling to agree a fee with Ajax for Ghanaian midfielder Mohamed Kudus. Spain midfielder Danny Olmo is happy at RB Leipzig after being linked with Man City as a replacement for KDB. Aston Villa are considering a bid for Nuno Tavares as an alternative to Sevilla's 31-year-old Argentina defender Marcos Acuna. I don't think either of them are much good, to be honest. Uh, Sevilla want 27-year-old Spain midfielder Pablo Fernales, who's in the final year of his contract and could cost between 4 and $6 million. I think he cost a lot more than that, to be honest. Um, Nottingham Forest are ready to pay £15 million for Botafogo's 19-year-old Brazilian striker, Matias Nascimento, but the player wants to delay the move until January to help his side win the Brazilian title. I like that from him. Nottingham Forest have agreed a deal to sign Gonzalo Montiel from Sevilla. It's a loan with an obligation to buy. I think it's a really good loan, a really good move for them. Everton are closing in on the 15 million signing of Che Adams. I have no idea what that club is doing. No idea. That's not what they need at all. Liverpool and Manchester United want to sign Ryan Gravenberch. Best of luck, United. I hope you get them locked up. Barcelona will sign... Sorry. What? No, PSV will sign Barcelona's USA defender, Serginho Dest, and PSV will pay half his wages. Barcelona are tracking Leroy Sané and could make a bid next summer. Okay. Um, Al-Shabaab of Saudi Arabia have a verbal agreement with Everton to sign Damari Gray. Interesting. I hate the move for him because I'd rather see him play in the Premier League. But if he gets riches, go and get them. Uh, Blackburn, QPR and Preston want to sign Hertha Berlin's 20-year-old German striker Derry Scherhans. On loan, and that is it, folks. That is all I have for today. Um, at least we ended on a bit of a high with the news that Mason Greenwood will not be. Oh, we have more. Manchester United forward Mason Greenwood will leave the club by mutual agreement after a six month internal investigation into his conduct. Greenwood was arrested in January of 2022 following allegations surrounding material which was published online. Charges against a 21-year-old England international, including attempted rape and assault, were dropped on the 2nd of February 2023. United said in a statement, all those involved, including Mason, recognise the difficulties with him commencing his career at Manchester United. It has therefore been mutually agreed 
that it would be the most appropriate for him. It would be most appropriate for him to do so away from Old Trafford, and we will now work with Mason to achieve that outcome. Based on the evidence available to us, we have concluded that the material online did not provide a full picture, and that Mason did not commit the offences in respect of which he was originally charged. I'm sorry that this is this is just not true. That said. As Mason publicly acknowledges today, he made mistakes which he is taking responsibility for. In a statement, Greenwood said he accepted he had made mistakes and took his share of responsibility. All of the responsibility is on you. Not a share. All of the responsibility on you. But added, I did not do the things I was accused of. Well, you did. You did. Because we've all seen the evidence. We've all seen the pictures. We've heard the footage. You did do what you were accused of. And you're now calling the mother of your child a liar. Own the shit you did. You scumbag. I hope he goes on and has a miserable rest of his career. Genuinely. Because that kid shows no remorse at all. And that's me for today. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.